You are listening to the Mission Matters Podcast Network, where we amplify the stories of entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bimel. By the way, if you're tuning in for what is now a couple episodes in, I'm assuming that you are now a subscriber to the Real Estate Lowdown, and I just wanted to say thank you, and I hope that the content that I deliver you thus far and in the coming weeks and years really does educate, entertain, and provide some insight into the world of real estate and whatever else we happen to be talking about on a given day. Today's episode, I'm excited to be interviewing George Newberry, who is a friend and competitor of mine in the secondary mortgage market and real estate space. You'll hear more about George's story in my introduction, but before we get to it, I want to do a little real tidbit. You know, as you may Recall from previous episodes, we are going to include what we call real tidbits, either in their own form, in groups of real tidbits, or we'll do a real tidbit on any day that we talk about, you know, with an interview with somebody. And what it's designed to do is to talk about a specific word or phrase or concept in real estate and mortgages to educate, you know, so that Today's real tidbit, for example, is going to be R-E-O. That's right, R-E-O. And you'll see later why R-E-O is today's real tidbit, because we're going to be talking R-E-O quite a bit with George Newberry in just a few minutes. But what R-E-O is, in its very basic form, it's a it's a reference to real estate that is owned by, most often, a bank or a lending institution that has had to take it back through some form of foreclosure or negotiation or even a straight purchase. REO actually stands for real estate owned. And so REO is a very old term. It goes back decades in the real estate market. And when banks primarily were the lenders and holders of mortgages, banks would have REO divisions. And real estate brokers, whether you were residential or commercial, there would be REO real estate broker designations. There there's remains REO broker designations today. All that means is that those real estate brokers are certified to manage and sell REO properties. Why are those different than your average property? Because you're, you're, when you're owned by a bank, you're subject to rules, regulations, policies, secondary approvals, a whole slew of processes that you have to go through when you're assigned a property that is an REO property owned by a corporation. Now, in today's modern world, REO has has grown in its 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 what it's considered. So there's a lot of private equity in the space of mortgage lending. In the old days, you'd think REO property, it's a bank-owned property. Well, nowadays, REO also refers to any type of private, institutionally corporate-owned 
real estate. In theory, if you own, as a private investor, you own real estate in an LLC, you could actually call it a corporate-owned REO. But it's really mostly been met referenced, and when people talk about it, they talk about it in reference to its traditional meaning of being a foreclosure property or a bank-owned or lender-owned property. We've seen various takes on the REO business. Entire companies have built empires based upon servicing REO properties because when you're talking, you know, trillions of dollars in, in the mortgage market, there's obviously lots of properties that even, even if only 2% of them go into default, some large number, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of properties need to be dealt with as REO on a yearly basis. Now, some private equity firms have taken the REO concept and turned it into a rental program. You hear about build to rent or REO to rent programs. There's actually private equity groups out there that have bought notes for the purpose of buying, foreclosing on the properties, simply to rent the REO and then package those REO rentals into a large securitizable investment. That's what the word REO is. Today's tidbit about REO is now complete. And in just a moment, we're going to start our interview with George Newberry. If you like what you hear on the win, on the, I just said the win-win revolution. Don't forget my win-win webinar. If you like what you hear on the real estate lowdown, please subscribe. And uh, if you have any ideas for someone you like, something you'd like to hear or someone you'd like to see interviewed, shoot me an email. You can find me at billbymel.com. Here's our interview with George Newberry. Hello, and welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bimel. I'm very happy to have as my guest this afternoon, my longtime friend and colleague and competitor, uh, George Newberry from AHP Fund. Thanks for being here, George. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me on. You know, to give a little background on you before we get started, we met probably over 10 years ago. You founded a company called AHP. It started as a fund, and it still is, where you invest in mortgages, non-performing, performing mortgages, eventually blossomed into a own creating your own loan servicer, be servicing. And then as of late, you started a division called Pre-REO, which is kind of the melding of the loan servicing, non-performing loan world with the, with the investor, av- date, mom and pop investor wanting to buy REO properties. And that's called Pre-REO. And, you know, I've just thought you are, you always are on the cutting edge in terms of ideas. And, you know, you've been an influence to me as a friend. You, you, you inspired me to write my book, Win-Win Revolution, because of the three books that you've written. <laughs> and so thanks for, thanks for spending a few minutes with us today, George. I know my pleasure, Bill. It's always it's it's always fun. You were in the industry when when we I first got started. You know, one of the first people I met was you, you and 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 your team at, at Spurs Capital, and it was really you guys were like like way up here. I was like, I want to be like those guys. <laughs> and so, now the roles are reversed. <laughs> so yeah, but I appreciate it. over the years it's been great to work. You know, doing deals, and then you know here here and there we've just met at conferences or met for. Yeah you know, eat out and, and just catch up on stuff. And it's always fun to talk because yeah, you always, 
you get, you know, the business so well, and you've had, you know, it's likewise in terms of creativity and, and, and ideas and innovation. I mean, that's what I think really can be helpful in this industry. It's not just the same old thing. It's ever moving. It's ever changing. You have to like notice what's happening and take it, I mean, take advantage of it and not kind of assume that the same thing, Hey, last year we did this and we made this. So this year we're going to do the same thing that, that won't work for long. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with that. You know, we, I think you and I both have recognized being on the cutting edge and offering something a little bit different to separate you, you know, and along those lines, you know, you, I think we've inspired each other in many mm-hmm. ways. Absolutely. Uh, the, I watched you, you know, you inspired me to write the book when, win revolution, you know, the book I think inspires a lot of people in the industry to have changed the paradigm about how to deal with borrowers and how to, you know, treat them like individuals mm-hmm. and get away from a debt collection practice. You then went on, you know, with AHP, I think that that has been quite a ride, I'm sure, both on the investment side and the and the and the loan servicing side. But what's really, really unique, and I don't I don't think there's anyone in the industry that's really doing what you've done is this pre-REO concept, pre-REO. And the, and, you know, basically what it is, is it's a note sale business, but it's, it's kind of repackaged in a way to make it more, you know, more addressable and understandable for the average mom and pop investor or any kind of investor who's used to owning real estate is used to owning stocks or securities but it's maybe never owned the security against the real estate. Well, tell me what what brought that that idea to pass, and and you know, and and how things are going with Priaria. Sure, no, it's going well. It's you know, we're growing by leaps and bounds, and that it's exciting to see the growth. You know, I'll tell you, probably a mutual friend at Pat McLaughlin from Rock Top oh. called me when he was still at Rock Top. Probably it had to be twenty eighteen or twenty eighteen. He called me and said, "Hey, we have all these low." Low value REOs, we're getting pummeled. I mean, we all do code right. enforcement, all that stuff, and and we're we're having trouble selling them. And and you know, just, he wasn't really. He was just. We were just kind of commiserating because we mostly did low value, as you know, with HP. Right. We mostly did lower value loans. And you know, once in a while, you got the, you had the house in New York, which the person passed away. So there's no hope of a mod, but there's also no hope of if you can't find the heirs, there's no hope of a deed in lieu or anything like that. You're just going to have to slug out the foreclosure for two or three years. And you have a vacant house, which could, the day the person moved out or passed away was probably in decent shape, but fast forward two or three years, no one taking care of the property. It's uh, you know, it could be a, a, a lots, it can cost a lot of money. So that was a problem that we were initially trying to solve. And, and initially that's when I went online and I, I went to GoDaddy and said, Hey, I was looking like potential names for the company. I stumbled on pre-REO and I said, wow, I bought it for 999 bucks, which was a pretty good, because it doesn't really to outside of the yeah. industry, it doesn't make sense. But in, in, in the industry, pre-REO is a pretty, you know, people yeah. use it not even referring to our site. And so that was the beginning. And initially we were pretty narrow. We said, Hey, we're going to, the goal was to get non-performing mortgages secured by vacant properties into the hands of a local real estate investor. Who's going to be much more better equipped to, to, to handle that particular mortgage than, and maintenance and preservation of the property than I, than AHP is, than Spurs, than Rock Top, right. than anyone else in the industry. So that was the, the the solution. But I remember a few years later, we 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 got the site up. It was just vacant, which was kind of narrow. And I remember going back to Rock Top saying, hey, let's put, put some lists on there, some assets. And they said, well, only like 15% of our population's vacant. So 
you know, can you do the occupied ones? So we said, well, let's put the occupied ones on there. And with that, we saw that people were buying the occupied vacant. No one seemed to mind. Whatever it was, they just liked the, that they're buying a loan secured by this property. So that that's that was a big a big step forward. It's been a, a series of pivots, adding the financing concept. And, and I did a, an event. You know, I, I did an event with you, the the Note Buyer Bootcamp in 2018. And, and I always remember there were two questions. All these people came there. I want to learn to buy notes. And the two number, and we had a bunch of experts, such as yourself, giving right. information, but there were two questions that everyone asked after the event. Where do I find the notes? And how can I get money to help buy the notes? And I, I remember those were the two problems that all new investors have. And so pre-REO, you know, part of the mission was to help address those. So now we have a place mm. where in investors, real estate investors, because that's really what we can say mom and pop, but really these are right. people who traditionally buy fix and right. flip, rental real estate. Now they want to transition to notes. So we've given them the resources, the capital, the opportunities all in one place. So they can go on there. And and these are being sold by institutions. They're not right. like private party to private party. These are institutions. So put a hundred at a time or hundreds at a time and then just get the offers back. And I think the, the big link, the big thing that really works with Priario, the big part of the solution was having all the loans go into a trust, trustees, US banks. So all the institutions, hey, we're just doing one contract. It's one buyer. It's a buyer that's an institutional buyer. And then that, that trust gives out participation agreements to the local real estate investors. That, that component of it is really the, the one that differentiates itself from all the prior attempts, which that generally have not worked right. to one that I that that you know we're hoping will will work on on a, on a mass scale. You touch on so many points there that literally we could like have had do three more podcasts about <laughs> it. But 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 I want to come back to a couple of things that you said that I thought were that I think is so brilliant. First of all, it's this idea that there is a secondary mortgage market where mortgage loans are sold. And traditionally that is done by bigger institutional guys or an old boys club of guys mm-hmm. that, you know, where they don't get out of bed for 10, under 10, 20, a hundred million dollar deal. And then when the mortgage market melted down the last time, 14 years ago, there were so many of these mortgages around that finally guys like you and I that were regular real estate investors maybe now had an opportunity to step into the secondary market. Now, you and I are a little different than your average investor. We we made it our full-time career. We went out and raised funds. We went out and worked for other smaller level, you know, like I was at Spurs, you know, guys, you know, like to have 50 or 100 million, even though I know you say that was like something for you to aspire to. But now looking back on it, it was like, yeah, that's still a small, a small mm-hmm. cookie in the world of secondary. But it was you and I made that transition. Now the question becomes, how does the individual investor that only specializes, only wants to buy notes or buy real estate in Wichita, Kansas. How does they get access to it? And the industry kind of promised this idea that there would be access to it. But anybody who goes out and learns how to buy notes or goes to one of these boot camps or to, you know, the many hunt dozens of, of guys that sling their, their, their education out there, at the end of the day, it, there's really not a lot of product that's regularly sold because of what you pointed out again, which is, the institutional guys that own these loans, 
they don't want, we don't want to be dealing with necessarily mom and pop investors and having to vet a new LLC. So in what you've created at pre-REO is an all-in-one scenario. You you have the 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 secondary market sellers, like you mentioned Rock Top, you mentioned Spurs, you mentioned for you know these groups that are willing to give you hundreds of assets at a time to offer a nationwide across the market on a single asset by asset basis. You provide the technology that platforms this into basically an online auction. And then individual mom and pop investors now can bid on that. They can go through all the due diligence. They go under NDA. They get to act like these institutional guys Mm -hmm. and now have access to that product. And the other amazing component is the financing piece, which you now bring in, you're now willing to offer, I think, what, up to 70% of the financing? 75. Yeah. And keep in mind, you know, people aren't paying 100% of the real estate value for this stuff. So that's what's important for the audience to understand. So now there, this is why people get excited about it, because you might, you might be buying a non-performing loan on a $100,000 house, but it's been in default for you know, eight years and it might, you know, there's a $150,000 loan balance. Now the bank knows they're not going to recover 150,000 if the house is only worth a hundred bank thinks, okay, at this point, the bank's thinking, oh, maybe I get 75. I'm lucky right now. A local investor wants to own that hundred thousand dollar house. Good luck finding a hundred thousand dollar house on the regular market these days, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't, but you can't. I mean, it's like you can't even you can't find anything decent for under three hundred thousand. So now, you know, by by actually by taking this little bit of a different approach, then now now you come in and you say, okay, I'm an investor. I'm going to buy one hundred fifty thousand dollars worth of debt on a hundred thousand dollar house, and I'm going to offer you seventy thousand. So, and then out of that 70,000, let's say the seller, the bank, the lender agrees to that price. You're now, you, your, your company will now fund up to 70% of that price. 75. 75. (laughs) So you're talking over 50,000 of the $70,000 purchase price gets funded by your company. In two, in turn, you you are ultimately the buyer through a participation agreement with the investor. Investor comes in and gives their additional twenty thousand. Now they own this particular asset in pre REO form. Now now here's to go back to another point. And this was back you know when you were saying about how you first started with vacant properties. One of the interesting kind of gray areas of the non performing loan space is this whole preservation of the property asset. And, and, and you mentioned it that it, you know the asset can deteriorate, but it's also cost the lender or the owner a lot of money to, to, to maintain that while where you're in certain states where for one reason or another, you're going through a legal process, Maybe there's you know heirs that have to be served. There's you know documents that you know that are that need to be put together. Whatever it is, and one of the interesting things that that we that's written into every mortgage in America, ninety nine point nine percent, I'm assuming, is this lender's right to protect their asset. 
And we learned about this very early on when I got into buying notes because I was we we were mostly buying vacant you know notes on vacant properties you know that had been abandoned you know I remember the you know the ghost towns of Port St mm-hmm. Lucie and stuff where you had these new construction homes in many cases it was speculative buyers from outside the state of Florida who had signed on to build these new homes put their names on these loans that overnight were upside down and they just left the properties vacant. Well, now I buy that in pre-REO form. So I'm buying the note. I don't own title to the real estate, but I'm while it's being foreclosed, it's within my rights. And if not even in some cases, my obligation to go out and secure that asset. So there, you know, that kind of gets into the question of what is securing that asset. It really does allow lenders and and then this translates to local real estate investors an opportunity to put their hands on the on the real estate right away i mean there are many lawyers that'll tell you even if you if you're the lender you can theoretically if the property's abandoned and you take possession of it there's no reason why you can't even start renting that property correct so you know, talk about like what what kind of investors are buying pre-REO assets. What's kind of some of these experiences that you've had, and and you know, and where that where you know, speak a little bit more to that. Sure, and just so, yeah, the the buyers have been primarily real estate investors. Although we have had some fund managers who are hey, let me just buy buy an asset on my own, even though they're managing you know uh, you know hundreds of thousands of assets elsewhere. And then and some experienced note investors who did this before, but are now you know looking for deals and find you know mining pre-area to find stuff that suits their needs. But to your point, on the on the vacant property, we were so we we advocate a receivership. So we we have a local real estate agent appointed as a receiver that that receiver is appointed to do two primary things. Number one is repair the property, number two is rent the property. Very comfortable if it's vacant for to secure the property, to to have you know any fixed roof leaks, anything that's urgent to get it done without a receivership. But once to really have maximum control and possession of the property is to appoint a receiver. It's a thousand bucks. You know, some states a little bit more, a thousand fifteen hundred dollars in legal fees to get a, a real estate. Uh, agent appointed or someone like that, someone with real estate experience appointed as a receiver, they can, as part of that receivership appointment, they can say, hey, we're going to do a renovation. You know, We're going to make this property rent ready. That's basically the goal. Because if it is a year to foreclose and you can collect a thousand a month for the next year, you get 12,000 bucks, can help holding costs and your all, and legal costs and taxes and all that. And at the same time, you now have somebody in the property the risk of vandalism goes to almost zero. Your right. property deterioration goes way down. You know, you may have somebody to cut the grass or even so you have money to cut the grass just from the rent. So we've done a number of receiverships. Now, to be clear, the documents are generally, like you said, you have the right to um, to enter the property to secure it and, and preserve it. Really, the, the bar has the obligation to do that. And if they don't do it, then you as a lender can do it. But the receiverships are typically not part of residential mortgage documents, single family. Instead, they're part of you know multifamily or commercial documents. You have a big apartment building, somebody's not paying. Very common practice for the lender right. to appoint a receiver, go in there, start collecting rents. And they do this for shopping centers, all kinds of sure. commercial buildings. The problem is that those receivers often are attorneys. They charge hundreds of dollars an hour. You know, they're not co- not cost effective to use on a single family home. So our thought was, hey, 
get a real estate agent in there. They'll do it. They'll do it just as if they were, they were collecting, doing a property management role. And then they're building up a future pipeline because if this thing goes REO, you know, now they have a relationship with that pre REO investor who'll probably list it with them as an REO. So that would, so they're building up a pipeline of future listings. So we've done a bunch, we've had some good success and we've never had a judge turn it down. And we also have never had a, never had a, an investor show up, never had a homeowner show up to court except for once. And it wasn't the, the homeowner, it was the two heirs of the homeowner. And uh, because we, we always have to notice the homeowner, they were going to appoint a receiver. They don't, I mean, if they've abandoned the property, generally no one cares about it. Yeah. But here the two heirs showed up and, and, and our, our attorney was fairly quick thinking. He said, Hey, it was underwater, no equity. They said, well, how about getting the receiver appointed to list and sell the property? It was a probate. That was, it was in Texas, but like right. you described, even though it could be a fast foreclosure, no, we have to raise an estate and uh, and uh, and go through that whole process, adds months and months and months to the, to the right. timeline. So here, the two heirs, we got them to agree if we pay them $1,000 each from the closing, they would cooperate with the sale. So that was worked out really well. Wow. Everyone went in front of the judge. Here's what we want to do. We want to appoint a receiver to sell the property. Forget the foreclosure, forget renting. And the judge, everybody's in agreement. It was done. Like a couple months later, the property sold. Each party gets a thousand. We got out. Our, it was a pre our investor got out, did great. So those are some of the stories. But yeah, I agree. This, there, there's in my mind, there's always this disconnect where you have these properties that are sitting there vacant. Some of them are, are rent ready as is. Most of them need a little bit of work. And you're just, and this month, the lenders are just sitting on the sidelines for months with the, right. the, you're, you're never, it's like a hotel. Once, you know, the, the night passes, the month passes, you're never getting the money back. Right. So if you can start getting rent from a non-performing note, it's just an awesome going, wow, this is pretty cool. It is interesting. You brought up that, you know, this idea of the receiver and the fact that they're not written into residential mortgages, but you have never been denied. And, and it's in, and, and have you, did you, have you found that some of when you initially started to go down this route, I think the receivership does a lot of things, obviously, like you said, we know for a fact that the lender, you have the right to protect the asset where it gets a little sticky is in, you know, this renting thing and the receivership mm-hmm. handles that because now you've got a court order saying, yes, you can rent it. What we would do in the old days, if we didn't re- do an official receivership, if we came across a property where the, it was you know, abandoned, we would still, if we ever did rent it out, we would still put those funds into a special account, not spend yep. them in case anything ever happened, but like never anyone ever came back. <laughs> and so did you get pushback from some of the attorneys early on about you know, this idea of receiverships on little low value residential properties? Yeah, we did. We definitely had the receivers. These are the receivers who were going to appoint the the attorneys. And I mean, appoint the receivers. They were still working for us and they were saying, ah, I've never heard about this. And you know, how can you do it? Because the reality is it's the first time most of the attorneys have seen it. The first time most of the judges have seen it. So we always say, say no, no, go forward. We give them templates that we've used successfully in other states. And, uh, and we're making a public policy argument. It may not be, and, and that was the problem that some attorneys had, they very literal, like it's not in the loan document. So how are you asking for this? And we say it's a public policy argument. This home is a blight. It's sitting there vacant. It's a blight on the neighborhood. We're going to appoint a receiver who's going to repair and rent the property during the foreclosure period. That's it. And now we're going to take this property and, and make it productive and, and, and no longer a blight on the community today. And that's, and we've served the homeowner. The homeowner hasn't showed up. So they've, you know, they, they really don't probably don't care about this. If they yeah. ever did show up, 
we're, we, this is one thing that's been cautioned. So, so by and large, the public policy arguments, what's work, because the reality is it's not like in the loan documents. But the, yeah. the other part is we've been cautioned, and this is what we caution our investors. During this, when you're doing these repairs, these are repairs to make the property habitable. You can't make, you know, add granite countertops, do upgrades, add a bathroom, can't do any of that. Because the problem there is now the homeowner comes up, you know, the, in, in the rare instance, it's never happened. The rare instance, the homeowner shows up and says, hey, I want to move back in. Well, the good news is the receivership order gives the receiver possession of the property. And so the homeowner can't come back in unless they go to court and get the receivership dissolved. And the only way they can do that is if, the, if they pay off the loan, if they reinstate the loan. Right. And either of those things, you're allowed to add the, or per the receivership orders, we can add in the amount that was necessary to repair the property. Now, if we start doing upgrades, adding bathrooms and stuff like that, it just makes it creates a mountain that's impossible for the homeowner to pay. But if it's simply enough to make it habitable, hey, you homeowner, if you want to move back in the house, you had to do this work anyway, leaky roof, fix it, whatever. And uh, and so that's been compelling because the the those are the arguments. Sometimes the arguments are more with the attorneys that are representing us. No, well, here's yeah. how you can do it and be prepared. And 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 here's the answer. If anyone says, well, what did the homeowner shows me? And 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 the and we have an answer for it. They can reinstate, pay off, and they get possession of the property and, and just they're only paying the repairs that were necessary to get yeah. the property to habitability. You know, I, not to throw I, to throw another tool in your toolbox and another uh-huh. advertisement for you. When it comes to the actual legal aspect of this, you also started a legal advisory firm, which has lawyers in all I think all fifty states at this. Yep, point, right? all fifty. So, so if there's a question as a as a, it's not I say I to, say real estate. I say yeah, real estate if investor. Any real estate investor wants to get into this. It's like you've got the whole you know, soup to nuts. So it's all there in terms of now you have lawyers in your network that you can introduce to the potential buyers. You've got the financing in place to buy notes. I mean, so now, and it really does make this, the security instrument itself, a, a much highly marketable, more marketable, you know, piece of uh, asset because, eventually the security instrument will become title to the property and 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 it's a win-win because like you said you're you're either whether it's you know whether you're cutting back on the 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 blight and the damage that could occur from vacant property or just covering your expenses it's just amazing you know i had never even thought of that idea of the receivership before you mentioned it i mean i've done it we've done it millions of times in commercial yeah, uh, but but making it work on a financial basis, I guess, is you know, I guess I understand why why there maybe it, it was an untapped industry that you're now tapping into. Yeah, it's you said win win. I'd say win win revolution. <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, <laughs> little plug. Right. The no, I I agree. It's it was all about making it cost effective. We appointed right. attorneys, and they're going to run up ten hours a month, and that's three thousand. It'll be immediately non cost effective. The key is a right. real estate agent because real estate agents do this work all the time. For, for free, anyways. But yeah. yeah, they do that. They'll help do the work. Then they'll collect ten percent of the of the of the rental income as their fee. And then they think, hey, one day they know that one day I'm going to get the majority of these will turn REO and I'll get a listing. Right. And so that's been a been really helpful. And and you touched on something else. You know, so if I'm if a real estate investor buys one note and then goes to a service or goes to a law firm, it is tough to get somebody who's who anyone to pay attention to you. It's only one note or even five or ten. Even 
50 or 100, it's tough to find a servicer or a law firm. Once you, so we have a built-in, we have HP servicing, we have activist legal law firm, we have a trustee, America's trustee services. So everything that's bought on Priario, for that matter, finance through Priario, because we finance off-platform deals too. Anything right. that comes in, you know, we know there's going to be a servicer, a law firm, and a and a trustee, whatever's necessary to move that transaction, move that loan forward. And there's never a question of, oh, are they going to find somebody to service this thing? And that's been really helpful, especially receiverships, because everybody, the, the law firm, the lawyer, the, the servicer, everybody has to be part of these receiverships. And if they're not on board, if you go to another servicer and say, hey, you know, this one, we're doing a receiver, they're going to be like... What are you talking about? And then they start getting documents and then they got a review. This is the first time we've ever done that. We got to have our legal department review. We're going to spend three hours and we're going to add another 300 bucks to your, your charge to your remit, all that stuff here. Everyone knows what we're doing and, and it makes it much more straightforward. You know, and it's interesting and it's that kind of flexibility, which I think you and I, as kind of leaders in this business, we always pride ourselves on how can we do things differently, right? You know, an audience might, our audience might remember, you know, or had the word zombie foreclosures. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, or, and we, in I know if you're in certain neighborhoods in this country, there's still a lot of vacant homes that, you know, you, you'll go and you'll say, Hey, what's going on with that? Oh yeah. Those people, you know, they, they were supposed to lose the property to the bank 10 years ago, but the bank just never foreclosed, you know, and this is a way to really alleviate that. So to take the community impact perspective, which I think is very valuable. I mean, I've I've always had it as our mission that part of resolving these loans was to to help beautify neighborhoods and get things back on track. So that's really great what you're doing. That's really great. What what about some of the, any of the the challenge, what's been the biggest challenge in building this new platform? And, you know, is it the technology? Is it the, you know, the fact that it's new, like we're talking about with some of these concepts are, are really bringing different concepts, different aspects of real estate investing and legal law into a new setting here. So what, what's been your biggest challenge? Yeah, I think I think you're touching on it, the newness of it and some of the concepts. It's getting everybody, whether it's local attorney, the investor, the seller, getting everybody comfortable with it. And and you know, and I think it's most biggest is on the investors. Sellers, even, you know, large funds, we explain it and we explain it again, and then they get it. And but a real estate investor transition and notes, there are, as you know. There's so many nuances to note investing that it does take a little bit of time. And we're always there. I mean, the reality is we have a financial interest in in, in not just selling the, the loan, but seeing them succeed with it and pay us back our 75%. Right. So we want to see them succeed. So that is, I think that's helpful that everybody's interests are aligned. So we continue to act as a resource, whether it's pre-REO, the servicer, the trustee, the, for, the, the foreclosure law firm will be an asset, a resource for the investor throughout the process. And I think that's really helpful. The reality is when we first bought loans, we really had no idea what we were doing. I mean, I had a real estate background, but the first note, we bought a pool of notes from Banco, from Banco Popular was actually our first purchase and Five Mile wow. Capital, both right at the same time. And I was like, wow, we got the notes. You know, what do we do? That been- <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it is helpful to have. And then we were trying to figure out relationships with a servicer and no one really wanted us because we were tiny, you know, who the law firms. And this, this is like a different market, 2010, 2011, when, right. you know, most everybody was overwhelmed with work. And now you're calling, hey, you know, we got 62 loans. It's like no Thank time, you. no to yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was, so yeah, I think it's been, I think it, it, it's educating everybody and, and getting them comfortable and then 
and, and holding their hand and not getting people spooked by little things. Again, sure. IRS liens. Oh my goodness, there's an IRS lien on title. You know, you and I know that that's uh, and they have a redemption period, but you know that's manageable. It's 120 right. days. I've never I've done to thousands of mortgage non-performing mortgages. The IRS has never stepped in to assert their redemption Indeed. period, but still yeah. you gotta you gotta honor it. And can you go to the IRS and proactively get them to waive it? Yes, there's a process for that, but it typically takes about the four months that you're going to do if you just wait it out and do nothing. Right. So those are those are examples. People, we see people get spooked about judgment, stuff like that. And we yeah. can point out that, and I guess it's more setting expectations proactively. And this is something we've struggled with a little bit in the due diligence period, because this we are creating a, a $500, you know, done for you due diligence, where we have a, you know, a, a title report, a BPO, a collateral review, a compliance review, all this types of foreclosure review. We put it all together, provide a narrative report to the investor. Hey, here's what it, what it is. Red flagging any items because the rally is if they, if something happens out of statute of limitations, a big deal that makes it fatal that can't be fixed. We don't want to we don't want to finance the seventy five percent either. So right. we need to find that out. And so far, so that's been a, a bit something we're ready to improve with the product because right now some of them are going outside getting due diligence and then bringing it to us to review it. It's uh, it's been a little bit inefficient. So I, I I'd say we made big strides, but it's still something where it's clearly a work in progress, and and we need to. I mean, it's such a in- that up. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying, George, and it's a nuanced business. It's new to the industry, but really, but for the audience or for, for what I what why I love it and why I would I would recommend anyone to look up pre REO is you know you get you get in it you get a, a benefit to taking the to taking that risk to going a little outside the bounds you know the fact that you're willing to be somebody who educates themselves on the fact that it's okay to buy a first lien mortgage with an IRS lien against mm-hmm. it and that you're you know having the confidence to know that you're going to be able to foreclose that out even you know if it means waiting an extra redemption period eventually you're not going to be responsible for that as the lender but and and in knowing that information you're getting that advantage in pricing and in today's market more than ever where it's so hard to find any deals in real estate i you know i feel like that that it, it really does provide a service to real estate investors as well absolutely agreed yeah that's what we're built for and to fast forward to the next downturn i may tell people Learn it now. And the best way to learn it is by doing is by buying a pre-area and going through the process. Because when the next downturn hits, there'll be a massive deluge. And, and we hope if we're ready, yeah, pre-area needs to be optimum, optimized in terms of our capacity. But we can be like 2010 when there's just tons of, of mortgages out there. We can be the platform to be the conduit between the institutions and the real estate investors. If we had this in 2010, it would have been transformative. We're going to, you know, in 2023 or whenever this next downturn hits, we're, we're, we want to be ready for it. I, I love that you said 2023 because I'm like, okay, well, let's let's finish on a on a down <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Where, the, what's your prediction? Are we already in I, recession? What's the deal? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, I look back, this is there's a lot of data. It's fun to look back at the last housing crash and see how it unfolded. And yeah. by, by many respects, now is like 2006. And yeah. if you remember things really, the, what, what's happening now is the rate of appreciation is is going down. It, it's And maybe it's it, maybe it's even turned. But what we've definitely seen through the first, I think the last quarter of last year and through this year is a, is a, a slowdown in the rate of appreciation. So things are going up, but at a slower pace. In the last month, I'm curious to see if, if what data is going to show. But I do have 
friends who are still out there buying homes and they're still competing and multiple offers, asking price. So you're still seeing that even with yeah. the higher interest rates. Yeah, it's uh, crazy. Yeah, so that yeah, it it now it defies logic. But kind of in 2006, there were some rumblings, and you, and what happened in 2006 is the days on market, the the rate of appreciation was slowing but still going up, and the days on market started expanding. So I, I, that we're right. definitely seeing now. So right. days on market still going, getting longer, but the prices are still going up, but at a much slower rate. Right. That so this is 2006. That would put us in you know late 2023, 2024 before it goes the other direction, where the rate right. of appreciation slows to the point where values actually go down. And I think there is still significant pent-up demand. I think there's still a supply issue. There's still, you know, the REOs, they're starting to go, but they're not. They're not at a high rate. And I think there's a lot of pressures. I know there's a lot of pressure on servicers and mortgage holders to, to try to keep the families in their homes through all means necessary. And if we go through the year and we can't get a resolution with the family, I think then it's kind of, okay, right. well, you tried and now you can proceed with foreclosure. That's why I don't think we're seeing the big, there's a lot of foreclosures Right. They could happen. They're just not. They're just not happening. And the other part Correct. of that, the government, to their to their credit, has been administering kind of you know hardest hit too. I don't know what they really call it, but we've been getting some big checks from some of these these uh, these government really? state found yeah housing finance agencies that are doling out this this COVID recovery money reinstatements. You know, bringing loan lenders, uh, bringing them the lenders up to date. We got a forty thousand check dollar check. And I was like, wow, these are back. It's like hard to sit, which I'm sure. I remember you know, that was like that. HP, yeah. you guys, you like were one of the best at, at instituting that you, yep. well, if you and Faye in terms of like, maybe it was just a Chicago thing, but getting hard as hit. To, <laughs> yeah, there, it was really good. It so it's awesome. back. It's back. That was when you were buying, so like uh, anecdotally, you buy those low value loans, you know, on houses that were worth 50 to 100,000, you know, back in the day, you could usually pay five to 10 grand for it. And then next thing you know, if you got somebody through a hardest hit program, the guy, the state was paying you 18,000 to bring it up to date. I know it was, it it was an amazingly good program. And this current program, I mean, there, uh, we don't design the programs. We just, you know, respond to them. So right, the, these right, right. are uh, the same things happening. I mean, it's happening today. I, I'm glad you made that prediction, though. I I believe we're more like to even 2007. I mean, I you know hmm. I agree that there's still a supply I- issue, which you know will drive this demand and continue to keep things going. But I also remind people that, like, I look at mortgages that that went into default pretty quickly in 2008 that were originated in late 2007 and even some in 2008. (laughs) So like, even though the market by 2007, by the middle of 2007, the market had really stalled. Inventory levels were starting to increase. And, and, you know, there was this uncertainty now, but there were still deals being done. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch the data because every month there's more and more of an indication that we are just following a same or similar cycle to what markets have to go through on a regular basis. Yeah, it's not. And it, it, we talk about seven, eight, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. you know, the last downturn, but there there's, there's, this happens every seven to 10 years. Historically, we're, we're at the, probably the tail end of the longest economic expansion in our country's history. We're overdue for a contraction. Right. It should have happened when COVID hit uh, it and it, exactly. when complete opposite happens. So that that's, fascinating and it would have uh, happened if the government didn't step in and close the courts and write a three trillion dollar check yeah exactly yeah (laughs) i i I, that's really i mean if we just gave back 
the appreciation that happened during COVID, what would that do to the market? Right. It would be all those people that are bought who are buying today would be see a good chunk of their equity wiped out. And that is sobering. It, and it may least. very well happen. I mean, you know, you Easily hear about happen. Austin, Texas up 70% since COVID started. I mean, it's like, I, you oh. know, that's just, I feel bad for those people. Well, you'd like to think that the folks that are buying at those ridiculous, you know, at ridiculous pricing also might have made the money or had the cash, but you never want to see anybody lose their equity. But uh, yeah, no, the, re- the reality is, is that markets need to cycle and it's healthy. Um, it's healthy. Exactly. For the long-term, you know, strength of the markets. So, well, you know, we could talk forever and, <laughs> I don't, and, and I'm, I'm getting you back because we didn't even get into technology, how you guys have used technology brilliantly, both on the servicing side and on the marketing and pre-REO and on the fundraising side, mm-hmm. you were, you were one of the first in the business to do crowdfunding for the note business. And you're basically one of two or three still that are, that actually still do it, that, you know, that nobody really got into it. I now am jealous that I, I (laughs) was, I didn't have the balls that you had to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, I mean, it's been, it's been a great, yeah, it's another conversation, but it's great. I mean, we raised more than 130 million online, which is beats out all our initial expectations, but it's, it's, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. That's the last, you know, we started that in 2013. Yeah. So we have nine years in. Well, so give us a little plug for the audience that has listened to it and wants to find you and how to get involved with Preario. Sure. Uh, if you go to preario.com, you can see all our, li- you can register as a buyer totally free. You can see all our listings. Again, by the time, you know, soon we should be hitting a thousand listings, which is pretty, that's a, Pretty good the number in the market. But yeah, please go to preario.com if you want to reach us by phone. It's 800-555-1055. Again, 800-555-1055. And please reach out. And again, we're there, we're here to help and and help investors, you know, buy their first mortgage and buy make a living buying more defaulted That's mortgages. Great. Well, this George Newberry, founder of AHP, CEO of AHP Servicing founder of Activist Legal and Preario.com. Thank you for spending some time with us on the Real Estate Lowdown. Have a good day, everyone. This has been a Mission Matters Network production. Listen to this show and browse our entire catalog by visiting missionmatters.com.